1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you on this Thursday night. Our phone number for the evening, every evening, honestly, is the same every evening. I'm just trying to remember it. 833-482-5337, 8334-VALDEZ. And I want to jump into the um, the big story. Again, it's still the big story of the day. Will the Senate pass the amended version of the debt bill. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know what was going to happen in the House. I was surprised, to be honest with you. I didn't think it was going to be that uh, overwhelming of a a vote, but it was. Uh, so let's see what happens now. Um, I, I can't, I'm, I'm totally like a, like a fish out of water with this one. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do think it might happen during the show, so we're going to bring you that as soon as it happens. Now, the... Uh, holding of the FBI director in contempt of Congress continues to be a thing. And again, we've seen this happen in the past, even in extreme cases where it's been overhyped and overdone, like when they put Peter Navarro in leg irons. Even in a case like that, we saw there still isn't much being done there. Right. I feel like they just wanted to make a point. They wanted their their pound of flesh, if you will. They wanted to embarrass Peter Navarro, and um, if, if I had to guess, I'd say he's probably not going to end up doing time over this, right? They just they wanted to treat him unfairly, and I don't think we're going to get that with Ray. I just don't think it's going to be the case. I don't think anything happens, uh, but that's the case. Now, with respect to Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden has this gun case where you know he, he lied on an application about being a— uh, uh, addicted to a controlled substance when he purchased a firearm. And then there were some other stories about putting the firearm in, in the dumpster of a, of a convenience store and someone else retrieving it and FBI agents being involved and looking at the other, all sorts of craziness. Right. All I can tell you is uh, the ATF is very skeptical that there's going to be a charge on Hunter Biden for, the, for that uh, infraction, if you will. So that's that. And of course, President Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden. Now, listen, I do wish him the best. And he fell down during the United States Air Force Academy graduation ceremony today. And I feel badly about this because I don't want to see the commander in chief fall down every day. Joe Biden does something, whether intentionally or by accident like this, that makes America look weak. And it gives new meaning to the term that I uh, use for him, Joe El Baboso Biden. So he's not just, you know, talking his babosadas, but he's like a little he's like a bumbling, drooling old man from time to time. And then he has these moments of clarity where he's like a like a straight up political gangster. And I don't know which one he is when, you know, uh, depending on what time of the day it is. It doesn't look good for America. That's all I could say. Uh, I think there's people that sympathize with that. Listen, I had an old man, my dad, tough guy when I was growing up. As he got older, he got skinnier. He lost a lot of muscle mass. He lost a lot of memory. Lost a lot of his uh, mental acuity, and uh, he was a cute old man. It's, you know, he became uh, a shell of himself, and uh, it was hard to watch and hard to see. But that's exactly how life happens. That's what aging looks like. And Joe Biden is is definitely on that road. You know, he's not he's not the man he used to be. He's not the same guy that wiped the floor with Paul Ryan when he was running for um, vice president back in the day. So that's that. The border continues to be an absolute, uh, I don't want to say it's a disaster, because it's probably I should say it's a tremendous success for Biden's policies, right? The policies that Biden's created where they've created an app and they've created uh, a system where you allow people into the country and we just tell them, hey, I hope that you'll self-report and I hope that you'll show up to court one day. And if not, well, good luck and God bless. Here's a cell phone. Here's a debit card. Take care. Brush your hair. Right. And I don't I I think that's a complete success. That's what Biden wanted to do. And that's exactly what he's doing. So that's that. On the other hand, you've got Rand Paul. Senator Rand Paul is playing hardball here. And he says, you know what? Until we see what's going on with um, how much of this money is going to COVID, what's what with the COVID stuff? Uh, with part of the debt ceiling bill and the rest of the documents that he's asking to see. He's promised to not uh, vote, so he's going to block every single nominee that Biden puts before the Senate until he gets what he's asking for in terms of these uh, COVID documents. So good on Rand Paul. Some will say he's an obstructionist. I'm going to say I think he's doing it right. If everybody played that same game, we'd have a little gridlock and we'd probably get somewhere eventually. So good job, Rand Paul. And the attorney general in Indiana is leading an 18-state lawsuit against the Biden administration on their border policy. So we'll um, dig into that a little bit later as well. But I want to jump into just a little bit of audio because Kevin McCarthy was taking a victory lap today. And again, I I don't want to trash him. Uh, I, I wasn't there is all I could say. I wished that we'd gotten more. I wish that things would have gone better. But I can say that we have, we have a deal. And it's not the deal that I wanted. You know, it's kind of like, I guess, when you go car shopping. Not to oversimplify, but you go with a plan in mind. You're like, I want to pay this much for this kind of car. And uh, sometimes it doesn't go your way. And it doesn't mean you like the car any less, but you just are a little bit less enthused about the deal, right? And uh, lamentably, that's the case. And a lot of really um, intelligent people people that I respect, people that have been on this program, uh, voted for this bill. And I think they voted so in good conscience, not because they were looking to sell out, but because they they felt that that was um, the right way to go. I mean, this is what I'm speculating, right? This is my conjecture here. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out. But McCarthy has uh, a couple of things that he said tonight, and I want to—or last night, excuse me— and I want you to hear uh, two clips from McCarthy— The first, he's talking about how they made history, and this is the biggest cut in savings that Congress has ever voted for. Listen to this.
2: I've been thinking about this day before my vote for speaker because I knew the debt ceiling was coming. I wanted to make history. I wanted to do something no other Congress has done, that we would literally turn the ship that for the first time in quite some time, we'd spend less than we spent the year before. Tonight, we all made history because this is the biggest cut and savings this Congress has ever voted for. And it's not that we're just voting for it. This is going to be law, $2.1 trillion.
1: So that's, uh, again, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, very proud of the work he's done. Um, he does a great job selling it. I think perhaps, you know, there's, there's moments where I look at this bill and I go, man, I wish we could have done more. There's moments where I go, come on, you got to be kidding me. Stop overselling it. And then there's moments where I go, you know what, everything he's saying is true, right? Uh, it's, it's not that he's, he's saying anything that's not true. The, 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 just the question becomes, did you leave something on the table? And, and the, I don't know the answer to that, but to help us make sense of it, we're going to check in with President Trump's uh, former uh, deputy assistant to the president, Jay Hogan Gidley. He's now the communications director at the America First Policy Institute. He's scheduled to join us right after this. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
3: Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have, I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I
2: appreciate it very much.
0: America at Night with Rich
2: Valdez. Tonight, I hope we proved it to you again, that we put the citizens of America first. And we didn't do it by taking the easy way. We didn't do it by the ways that people did it in the past by just lifting it. We decided that you had to spend less, and we achieved that goal. Is it everything I wanted? No. But sitting with one House, with a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic president who didn't want to meet with us, I think we did pretty dang good for the American public.
1: That's Speaker Kevin McCarthy Last night, giving his comments and um, taking a victory lap on this deal, our guest is uh, vice chair of the Center for Election Integrity and senior advisor for communications at America First Policy Institute, former deputy press secretary and deputy assistant to President Trump. Hogan Gidley, welcome to the program. Rich, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. You bet, my brother. Thanks for staying up late. America appreciates it as well. So let's uh, let's dig in here. Um. You know, I'm honestly of two minds. There's things that I like about this debt deal. There's things that I don't like about the debt deal. Um, I feel like it's a little bit of an affront on everybody when everybody just starts trashing McCarthy and all Republicans as rhinos because they took the deal. And then I think, you know... Are they? You know, I'm, I'm kind of vacillating here. And uh, I, I realize it's it's an emotional thing because, you know, we had our high hopes and, and we landed somewhere else. But I'm also a realist and worked in government and realized there's compromise that goes uh, into these types of things. So what say you? Well, I'm so glad you put it that way, because two things can be true at once.
4: Is everything in this bill good? No. I'd argue a lot of things you know, don't track with the America first policies that Donald Trump put in place mm-hmm. uh, that so many of us want out here. Um, but at the same time, there are political realities that exist where we only control one third of the levers necessary to get a bill passed. And so is it the best deal McCarthy could get? I don't know, because I wasn't in those negotiations. I can tell you It's better than I thought it would be, but to call it a quote-unquote good deal, I'm not sure because I wasn't in the negotiations. I can tell you, though, I don't like much that's in it, but because we only control the House and Joe Biden said he wasn't going to negotiate at all, McCarthy forced his hand here. It was a really savvy political move, Um, and he did so because Republicans at our core – we don't like – it is a hard vote to, to, to raise the debt ceiling. It's hard for us to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Democrats, they don't care because they've never met a dollar of your, you know, of your paycheck they wouldn't like to spend. So that doesn't bother them. <laughs> so the fact McCarthy was able to do that, I think it wrong-footed the Democrats. They didn't know what to say. They came out and said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, we're not going to default. We can't default. And we were like, yeah, we know. We already passed the bill. Uh, no, we're not going to default. Weeks later, Schumer was saying the same thing. And we were like, no, we know we already passed the bill. So McCarthy did some yeoman's work here to get something accomplished. But it it really highlights a bigger issue. And that is elections have consequences. If we don't control the House, if we don't control the White House, and we don't control uh, the Senate, then, you know, we got problems. So if we can get back to where we're winning these elections and controlling these chambers, then we'll be a whole lot better off. I think that kind of is the lesson from this negotiation is we got to win more elections. That's the bottom line.
1: Yeah. Listen, I, I get that. I get that. And I think there's also, you know, some, um, some introspection that I draw from it. Right. Uh, I guess politically speaking, speaking from the perspective of a movement, conservative, uh, I think we, we also can't be so knee jerk. I feel, Right. I think we can't start hating everybody at uh, Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene that voted for this bill and said, oh, my God, I can't believe they sold out. I, I don't believe it's appropriate for us to do that. I don't think we'll ever move forward. Um, we don't have to be lockstep. And I don't believe in groupthink. But I also don't think we should demonize anybody that we disagree with uh, on something like this, because I think at the end of the day, we, we don't win that way. What's your take on that?
4: I agree 100 percent. Now, look, um, you know, we, we need a fighter to get things to get things done in Washington, D.C. I think Donald Trump proved that. And and for decades and decades and decades, being part of politics at this point, 25 years, I started under Mike Huckabee when he was governor. So I've known Sarah Sanders, for example, since she was 19. Um, I've been doing this a long time. And, and I see the anger that has been roiling on our side for a while because we've been ignored, because of the dual – system of justice, and a lot of things that Donald Trump did not only highlighted the problems with the swamp, but he fixed a lot of the problems, I mean, he drained a lot of it, but there's still some bottom feeders down there doing their darndest to try and tear us apart uh, behind the scenes. What we thought was happening, we now know what's happening, uh, the, the proof is there, so there are a lot of reasons to be angry and a lot of reasons to be mad, but I think you're right here to vilify the Speaker on this particular issue. Doesn't really take into account all of the issues that play here, as I mentioned. When you have to work with a Senate that doesn't want to give you anything, a White House that doesn't want to talk to you at all, it, it, it you know it takes some takes some doing to get it done. And you know when we're in these in the back rooms, you want to say the things you want to say to one another, right to their face. That's fine. Do it to the press. I've never really been, been a big fan of, even though I'm in the I, you know, work in the media hmm. uh, in, in comms and press for candidates. But I, I think your point's valid, and I think it's right. I think we got to be constructive. we got to figure out how to work together. And remember, the left is always on the same page all of the time because they operate as a collective. The right, we're by our very nature more individualistic. But politics is a team sport, and if you're going to win, you got to kind of row in the same direction a lot of times. It's harder for us to do it, I said, by our very nature, but I think we're getting better at doing it. Uh, in large measure because of people like Donald Trump and people like, um, you know, uh, McCarthy and others who are trying to bring together different factions within the Republican Party and, and point out the need to work together to accomplish what we want.
1: And, you know, Hogan Gidley, I, w- I want to just highlight that point because I think it's a really interesting one. You mentioned the, you know, we, we, we have to debate with the White House. We have this this uh, infighting with Schumer. But it's not just Schumer, right? It's also McConnell. Right. It's not as if the House sure. Republicans are going to get a deal with, with McConnell the way they're going to get one with Schumer. It's, it's sometimes uh, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. So, I mean, uh, I think Republicans um, have, have their work cut out for them when it comes to, to that type of deal. Now, I want to pivot um, right before we get to the break, and we'll continue beyond the break, uh, a little bit about the border. Right? I'm looking at this piece here, and it's from Daily Caller, Jenny Tarrant. The uh, headline, the Biden administration will admit thousands more illegal migrants each month through a phone app. And to me, it seems, you know, earlier I corrected myself in my opening monologue saying th- the border is a disaster. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take it back and say it's a, it's an absolute success for those who created this policy because it seems like what they planned is working. Right. They've allowed for this to happen. They've opened up the the gate literally They've created the app. They've told the border agents to become travel agents, to get these people onto buses, to bust them into the interior of the country or get them on planes. And it seems to be working exactly as they planned. And I, I for the life of me, I can't, uh, you know, I guess I, in good conscience, I can't say it's a disaster for them. It's a disaster for you and me and the rest of America. So I just wanted to lay that out there uh, to, to, to set the stage. I also wanted to remind everybody of, of who you are. So let me do that. Folks, we're on with Hogan Gidley, uh, Hogan Gidley's vice chair for the Center of Election Integrity and a senior advisor for communications at the America First Policy Institute. He's also the former deputy press secretary and deputy assistant to President Trump. So um, we've got somebody well qualified to give us that answer. And Hogan, you know, I think the last time I saw you, we were backstage somewhere at CPAC. And I've seen that you've maintained a really busy schedule. I see you on TV all the time. Uh, where Are you still in D.C.? What's going on?
4: Uh, still in the swamp, sadly. <laughs> um, and whenever I get a call to go give a speech around our great country, I always take it. And they always say, thank you so much. I say, no, thank you. You got me out of the swamp for a couple of days. I appreciate it.
1: Cool. All right. We're coming right back with Hogan Gidley. Don't go anywhere. If you want to call us, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ. Of course, that's Valdez with an S on all the social media as well. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
5: Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your
6: mental models, and how to think about...
0: With Rich Valdez.
5: In the weeks leading up to Title 42's expiration, they stoked fears that we would see chaos and massive numbers of migrants crossing at the border. And yet, what happened? Thanks to the policies put in place by the Biden administration, the numbers at the border dropped by, dropped by 70% following the expiration of Title 42. But the fear-mongering continues. Unfortunately, my colleagues are not ones to let facts get in the way of a good story.
1: Hi, Benito. That's uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler at a hearing on the uh, border crisis uh, about a week ago. And uh, th- this is how they try to spin it. Chuck Todd was saying that it's not really the uh, Biden administration's fault, but it's the Republicans' fault that we're having the mess that we have. What say you, Hogan Gidley? Well, the numbers tell the story. Uh,
4: and the fact is, we had the lowest numbers of border crossers uh, under the Trump administration. We had uh, lower numbers of human trafficking, child smuggling. Um, drugs weren't pouring into our nation, killing our children, uh, killing people uh, across our communities. Um, and now they are. And you talked about before we headed into the break about the competency of the Biden administration on this. There's no mm-hmm. question the Biden administration's incompetent. But this particular matter, as you point out correctly, is by design. Um, This is something they want to do because they care about gaining and maintaining political power. So they want to flood this country with people. They can get on the government dole as soon as possible, and then they're going to take credit for it, and then they're going to try and make those people voters. That's what it's about. Because, look, the American people, um, polling is clear. Not only do they want illegal immigration stopped. They want a reduction in legal migration in this country, too. We're one of the kindest, most generous nations on the planet, letting in uh, a little bit more than a million people a year legally in America. This administration has let in six million already. Um, That's the ones we know about. Doesn't include the Godaways. So there are tens of millions of people coming into this country illegally and unlawfully, and this is all by design from the left. And what makes me the most frustrated is every time someone comes into this country illegally and commits a crime, whether that be a, a driving while intoxicated, whether that be a rape, whether that be a murder, whether that be a burglary, uh, a robbery, um, anything at all. Every one of those crimes is 100 percent preventable. Every one, because they shouldn't be here in the first place, and this country. Uh, No question, as I mentioned, is one of the most generous, but you have to do it the right way. And this administration refuses to do that, refuses to acknowledge there is a right way, bragged about doing everything opposite when they came in. Watch how we're going to do everything different than Donald Trump. The exact opposite. Now there are children being sold into slavery, coming across our border, being sold into slavery, as a a recent report showed. So we're— what, what is going on is horrific for the people uh, uh, in, in America. It's horrific for those trying to get here because it's a dangerous journey. And they've been told they can be let in. They've been given phones. They're you know, given room and board in a lot of instances. So this is a real problem for this country. And I think the Biden administration not only is turning – they do turn a blind eye to the politics of it because they think eventually it's going to pay off, and they don't care.
1: Folks, we're on with Hogan Gidley. Uh, He's vice chair for the Center for Election Integrity and senior advisor for communications at America First Policy Institute. He's also former deputy press secretary and deputy assistant to President Trump. Now, Hogan Gidley, um, in addition to this app that people are using on their phones to, you know, set up their immigration court dates, something else they can do is listen to a new podcast hosted by you. Tell us about it. (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah, well, we uh we work at a think tank here in Washington DC. And for people who don't know what that is, um basically it's an entity that works to educate um not just legislators at the local level but also at the federal level, your your senators and your congressmen on various issues, on polling data, um and and, and uh because we are a think tank, we thought it would be a, a fun thing to do because think tanks aren't necessarily thought of as fun. Uh, to yeah. get on air and, and do a podcast called The Tank, and uh, we're gonna we get on there and we have different guests. We had Secretary Bernhardt, who was the Secretary of the Interior under Donald Trump. This this first episode, a lot of fun. And while the Secretary of Interior again doesn't sound like a fun thing or a fun job, he is a fun guy, brilliant guy, uh, one of my favorite uh, cabinet uh, secretaries that I, I got to work with on a, on a you know regular basis. And, uh, you know, we, we put it on a podcast and we're talking about various issues of the day, uh, talking to obviously some big guests who served in not just the per- previous administration, but, you know, we're going to, we have some sitting governors coming up. We have, uh, you know, other folks in industry coming up too. And just talking about the issues that matter to so many across this country, focusing on those America First issues that gave us success in record setting time. And that's, improve the lives of all Americans, regardless of race, religion, color, or creed. And, uh, you know, it, it started out fun, but we're going to build on it and make it even better in the coming weeks.
1: Outstanding. Now, if anybody wants to uh, download it, let them all know where they can go and get it.
4: Yeah, you can, absolutely. You can go to any of our social media sites. Uh, I, I'm one of the hosts of the, of the podcast. So I'm at Jay Hogan Gidley across all social media platforms at Jay Hogan Gidley. Uh, but then also, uh, americafirstpolicy.com uh, is our website, and uh, there are links to it on there as well. And you can find out more about all the work we're doing across the country and all the various policy spaces. Um, but, you know, it's it's important because I have to say, when I went into the White House, I'm kind of embarrassed. I didn't realize how much the policy actually mattered to people. I'm am a I'm a message guy. I'm a press guy right. and have been for 25 years. I didn't realize how much it impacted families across this country. When you had a president like Donald Trump who cared about those people and wanted to right a lot of the wrongs and be a voice for the voiceless, all of a sudden, in a hurry, you got to realize just how impactful those policies are for, for people across this country. And just to be a small part of that was a blessing beyond measure. So uh, you can go on to com is the point and, and check out some of the policies we're working on to try and and, and get kind of everybody back on the same page of what works 80 20 issues these are 80 percent of americans that support them republican democrat independent all the way across the aisle uh they're they're the ones that actually have been successful and you don't have to point back to reagan to say look how great we were under reagan you can just say two years ago we had these things in place right so it's time to get back to them
1: yeah yeah you know as you talk about those kitchen table uh uh, topics, these policies that matter to Americans, I remember something that st- stood out during the Trump years was the median household income going up to something like uh, 6500 or $7,000 higher than it was sure. before. And that's obviously dissipated now with the current situation, but it'd be great to see that happen again.
4: Sure. I mean, look, wages increased for the first time in 30 plus years. Uh, they were up around $7,000. I think they've, lost, they've They've gone down around 6000 under uh under Joe Biden not to mention the crippling inflation far outpacing any wage increases that they can brag about coming out of Washington DC um it's hurting people i mean paying paying what you have to pay now for gas and for groceries is a serious problem not to mention of course um when you do flood the border and you do flood this country with people who are here illegally and lawfully what it does to the the, the strain it puts on communities for for first responders and for schools and for health care. All of those things are seen, you know, as increases in in what we have to pay. Uh, It manifests itself into a higher into a higher, you know, uh, spending problem for most Americans. Look, I heard a stat the other day blew my Mm -hmm. mind when you talk about the deficit or the debt rather in this country. And you see how how many were at 32 trillion, I think, in, in is the national debt right now. It's always hard to quantify, especially as a press person. That it wears me out because you try, you, you know, you, you gloss over when you're talking about millions and billions and billions. Right, trillions right. The of dollars. Get lost. right. And then all of a sudden, someone told me this. I said, this is a great stat. If you stop spending right now and it was just $32 trillion and you said, okay, I'm going to pay for it using a dollar bill a second, put it on the table. So one, two, three, a dollar bill per second, it would take 996 thousand years to pay it off wow that's incredible just put down a dollar a second to pay off that 32 trillion dollars it's nine hundred actually it's closer to 1.1 million at this point once you put the four trillion on from this new bill but you're yeah. talking about almost a million years it would take just dropping a dollar a second down on the table that shows you how massive this this federal government has gotten and we're all on the hook for it we're the ones that have to pay for it.
1: And our and children. And so it's a real problem. our children's children.
4: And our, oh, absolutely. Not even close. I mean, Christ lived 2,000 years ago, to give you a point of reference. 990,000 <laughs> years? Yeah, it's going to be a while Another before we pay that opener. off.
1: Folks, yeah. uh, Hogan Gidley vice chair of the Center for Election Integrity and senior advisor for communications at the America First Policy Institute. Hogan, thank you so much. Good luck with the podcast. Godspeed to you, and thanks for joining us.
4: Sure, and if you need me to stay the extra break, I can. I think there was some talk about Sandil later, and that's fine if not.
1: Yeah, well, I think we got everything nailed, so I appreciate it, but I'm definitely calling on you again for sure.
4: Um, Anytime. Thank you so much. You got it, brother. Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4valdez.
0: This is America at Night.
1: America. Welcome back. We're going to the phones. Let's go to 833-4-Valdez. We're checking in with Elizabeth in Reading, Pennsylvania, WEEU. Welcome.
7: Thank you very much and good evening. My pleasure. Um, I would like to comment that I heard on your show a few moments ago, Speaker McCarthy misused the English language. He said... (laughs) He said, "And we are literally going to turn a ship around."
1: <laughs> Where's this <et> ship?:
7: <laughs> And he, he used the word literally incorrectly, and it may seem minor. Some people might say that doesn't matter. In my humble opinion, speaking well m- builds credibility for smart people. So yeah, I agree if only, yes, that. if only he had um, used better grammar.
1: Yeah, well, I know people that speak a lot uh, have a higher rate of misspeaking than everybody else because we speak more. I do it all the time. But, uh, Elizabeth, you sound very well-spoken yourself. Are you uh, an English teacher? No. Oh, because you sound like you could be a really good English teacher, and, and that's why you caught on to that so quickly. But, you, you know, you're right, and I don't think he's the only one that uses literally wrong uh, because I think a lot of people use literally, and they mean figuratively, <laughs> you know, um, and, and they just, they, they roll with it. But let's talk about the, um, the meat and potatoes of this, if you will. Not literally, um, but figurative meat and potatoes. What do you think of the, the debt bill? Do you think uh, it went far enough? Do you think McCarthy did his best job? Do you think he let us down? Do you think this is uh, a win, albeit a small one?
7: Oh, I vote for the final thing you said, that it, it is a win at the moment. At the time at, at right now, it's, it's a way to move forward and focus on other topics. Uh, so I, I'm for it. I'm happy, but that's just me.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. Uh, again, I have my moments like that too. It just depends who's influencing me, right? <laughs> who I'm talking to say, no, we should have gone for more. I don't know if going more was an option, right? And, that, and that's really the issue. I, I think that, uh, I think McCarthy did squeeze a lot out of this situation and, uh, and uh, it it is a win, albeit one uh, that I think we all would agree could have been bigger or should have been bigger. I don't know that if there was actually the um, political ability to make it a bigger win. Um, Now, also, a secondary question for you. What's your take on on the border? They put out this new app, right? There's this new app uh, called CBP1. When they were making it, uh, we had a few guests on, Tom Homan uh, from Heritage. He was telling us about it. And now people can schedule their own appointment for immigration court uh, rather than be given, you know, an appointment when they're arrested at the border. They're just released and given this app saying, hey, just make sure you check in with us and let us know what's going on. What do you think?
7: Oh, I strongly disagree because rules are rules and they should be followed properly um, for and, and, and I'll just comment. I, I use. um Social media, very little. I'm, I'm not good with computers or anything like that. I'm okay, but I'm not good with it. Uh, but I still don't understand why they can't just use the regular legal process that's already been there for years. That, that's, the, that's the proper thing to do. Yeah.
1: Well, there's a lack of enforcement, and it's, it's due to a lack of enforcement because of Biden and his policies and re- really just saying, hey, don't enforce this or that, and let's do this and do that and have this situation and you know it's it's what i guess what i leave why, where i'm left scratching my head is are they creating the problem so that they can offer the solution or is it they're creating the problem to offer the solution and they're hoping to benefit from it with increased amounts of of people right once you have more bodies in a particular um congressional district they can get more money because there's more people there so that, that's also one that I think um, is, is probably the, the clearest point for me is I think this is all about the money. But I also think are they creating this problem just so they can say, look, there's a lot of people here. We've got to do this now. <laughs> I think ultimately there are some people that think the government can fix everything and they break things just in order to fix them. Elizabeth, thank you for your call and your insight and your excellent diction. I appreciate you. big shout out to everybody listening on WEEU in Pennsylvania. I am Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, folks, if you're noticing there's new music, that's because... There is breaking news, right? There's breaking news. The Senate has now passed the debt ceiling bill. This is breaking news moments ago on the floor of the Senate. Listen to this.
8: On this vote, the yeas are 63. The nays are 36. The 60 vote threshold having been achieved. The bill is passed.
1: So there you have it. The Senate has called the vote. It has passed. And there we are. This thing is law, right? It's going to go to Biden. He's going to happily sign it. Um, there's $2 trillion in savings, but there's still $4 trillion in spending. And that's the part that, uh, you know, I guess uh, me being the cynic that I am, um, you, I, would have, I should have expected, right, that, that this would be the case because we don't have the leverage uh, that I wish we did. Right. I really do. I really do wish that we would have had a little bit more leverage to go at this a little bit stronger. Uh, But all that being said, hey, it is what it is. And we've got to move forward. One thing we can't do is dwell. Right. We can't dwell on every single thing. Some people can. And if you want to be my guest, go right ahead. What am I going to do? I just feel um, when when I take that approach. The only thing that happens is I become a malcontent, right? I just become so like, ah, I can't, it's, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You just become this, this kind of a grumpy, curmudgeonly old person. Um, no offense to the grumpy curmudgeons out there. Um, I don't mean to insult anyone, but I don't want to be that guy. I, I just don't want to be that guy. I, I want to, uh, like Reagan told me to do, right, told all of us to do, to be a happy conservative warrior. And I think that's a a good idea. And we just keep fighting. You know, keep fighting on the the next one. Keep fighting and keep fighting. And, you know, when when you can, you you go in hard. So that's where we are on that. Now, straight ahead, um, you remember our friend. He's been on this program several times. Greg Jarrett, you might have seen him on uh, Hannity's program. You might have seen him on the Fox News channel. Well, he's coming up next. He's going to talk to us about his brand-new book. It's called The Trial of the Century. Now, he mentioned this uh, when he was on with us last time, and I think you're going to enjoy it. It's a particular case uh, that went before the Supreme Court, and I don't want you to miss it. Plus, later on, we're going to talk with Darren Kidd. He's a, a coach and a trainer, and he's the author of the book, Will, uh, I Will Until Unlock Your Limitless Power to Succeed. So stay tuned for that. I think you're going to enjoy it. Plus, we're going to talk about the debt ceiling as well now that that's been passed. So don't go anywhere and give us a call. Your calls are always welcome. 833-482-5337. It's Rich Valdez keeping you company till 1 a.m. Eastern. Don't go anywhere and definitely don't move a muscle. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number, if you want to join us on this late night National Town Hall conversation, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ, or you could chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S on any of the uh, social media platforms. Now, uh, President Biden fell down today at a Air Force graduation, and uh, I don't even want to make fun of this one. It looked like an ugly spill to me. Uh, I was embarrassed for him. Uh, I felt badly for him. It just wasn't a good look. Uh, yet again, weakness was broadcast to all the world um, by our commander in chief, Joe Biden, or as I like to call him, Joe El Baboso Biden. Now, Uh, A couple other stories we're going to get to at the top of the next hour. An AI-controlled military drone turned on its human operator during a training simulation. We'll get into that. Then don't uh, get too excited, right? Lori Lightfoot is out as mayor of Chicago, but yes, she's headed to academia. Professor Lightfoot, here she comes. So uh, I know that's a shame. It's a shocker, but that's exactly what's happening. And uh, I think she's going to Harvard. We'll see what happens there at the top of the next hour as well. And uh, there's a new survey that claims one in 10 adults identify as LGBTQ. Now, that's probably up from a few years ago, but still uh, quite a small number. And it makes me wonder, why is it that everywhere I turn, that's all you see? You would think everybody was LGBTQ. Anyway, there's uh, that. Plus, we have some breaking news. That means we have breaking news music. There it is. That's the breaking news music right there that I'm talking about. Well, the Senate has approved the um, debt ceiling bill in a vote that happened just moments ago. And we've got the tape. Listen to this.
8: On this vote, the yeas are 63. The nays are 36. The 60 vote threshold having been achieved. The bill is passed.
1: There you go. So 60 votes was all it needed. It got to 60 votes. Again, uh, I wasn't sure if there was going to be some robust debate on that. That flew through just like it flew through in the House. Uh, I would have expected a little bit more um, of a uh, of a rough ride, but it seems to be just a very smooth passage. Now, I want to, um, earlier in the first hour, I'd mentioned our buddy Greg Jarrett. And I say our buddy because I've had Greg Jarrett on my radio program in Philadelphia, in New York, my podcast, this program. And, and this is... Hogan Gidley, so many of these wonderful people that uh, I bring on the program, I met because I was once this, you know, um, uh, associate producer for one of the biggest talk radio programs in America, The Mark Levin Show, and working for The Great One, you meet a lot of great people, and uh, I, I learned how to do this business from The Great One and some others that really took me under their wing, so it's always a pleasure to shoot the breeze with some of these folks and, you know, hear about their new projects as well as get their opinions on things. So now, Greg Jarrett is a Fox News legal analyst. You've heard him on Hannity's program a number of times. Greg Jarrett, welcome. Hey, Rich, um, how come you don't have me on more often? What's the deal?
9: (laughs) You're coming on,
1: brother. Listen, I will get you a legal segment where you'll be on once a month telling us how it is. We can do that. Once a month? Once a day. Love that. you you uh, got the most
5: popular show in America, for God's sakes. We'll at
1: nighttime, for sure, brother. Well, you know what? We're, now that I know, I'm taking note of that, and we're bringing you on. But Greg Jack, before we jump into your amazing book, I want to get your take. Am, am I the only um, schmuck on wheels that, that thought this was not going to fly through the House and, and the Senate, or did you see that coming?
5: Well, listen, you are a schmuck, and so am I. <laughs> um, and and like you, you know, Rich, I thought it would be a tougher sell, but it wasn't. Um, so it flew right through. And, you know, I view it as a step in the right direction. Let's get to fiscal responsibility. Let's, you know, stop spending more than we take in. And, you know, that's the way my wife runs the checkbook at my house, probably yours too. And uh, it's the only responsible thing to do.
1: Yes. And, and, yeah, my wife did do it while I was married. Then we weren't married. and I had to do it myself. And let me tell you, that, that, <laughs> you that scary know. stuff when you first look at it. You're like, oh, my gosh, I think I should get married again. Unbelievable. Right, exactly. So, Greg Jarrett, uh, you, you wrote this amazing book, and we've heard about it in the past. And I'm talking about um, the, the, the witch hunt book and the Russia hoax. And these were excellent books. But now you have a new book. Right. And you're you're talking about um, not only an iconic attorney, but you're talking about a very famous uh, trial, the Scopes Monkey trial and the attorney Clarence Darrow. Now, last time you were on, you told us a little bit about uh, why you were doing it. But for anybody who's tuning in for the first time now, Greg Jarrett, tell us why you decided to write this.
5: Well, I was a teenager, Rich, when uh, I grabbed a book off my father's bookshelf and it was a biography on Clarence Darrow. My father was a lawyer. He loved Darrow. And so I picked the book, and I started reading, and I was fascinated with what I read. It was by, you know, the great writer Irving Stone. And, you know, the more I read, the more I admired Clarence Darrow's passion for the law, his sense of justice, his commitment to civil liberties, intellectual freedom. He cared the most about free speech. I mean, this was a guy who dared to confront prevailing beliefs, you know, sort of like today, right? Um, And and he opposed the demands for social and religious conformity, and he often stood alone, uh, battling against government intrusion on individual rights. As I say, particularly free speech. His his most famous trial was the 1925 scopes monkey trial you know that was sort of an evolutionary misconception um and a couple of years ago i decided you know i'm going to go down to the courthouse in dayton tennessee it's about seven hours from where i live and the courthouse is closed but i met a couple of guys who had a key and they led me in and they showed me the archives that you know buried in the basement and the duck, dusty archives was the original trial transcript and I you know I started reading it Rich and I was just bowled over this really was the trial of the century and my book trial of the century is based on the transcript it it was the most important case in American history because it stood for the proposition that nobody should be told how to think that we all are entitled to free speech, which stands today, a hundred years later, in jeopardy.
1: Now, I just want to, for everybody who's, who's out there, this was a, a trial that put um, uh, religion, science, public education, everything, right? Everything was, was kind of involved in this trial, and right. it, it was a big deal. And uh, if you could set the stage a little bit so that everybody can follow along.
5: So it it pitted uh, science versus religion, creationism versus evolution. And, you know, this was a period in time in American history, we were on the precipice. It was either going to be, you know, free speech or wholesale censorship. And, you know, Rich, that's going on today. Today. But, you know, a hundred years ago... You know, America was standing at the precipice. We were staring into the abyss of just banning books on science, particularly evolution. And that's what states did. It was led by the great fundamentalist William Jennings Bryan, three-time presidential nominee for the Democrats. And, you know, he was the big leader of the evolutionist movement, And, and they started banning books. Tennessee passed a law ma- making it a crime to teach evolution in public schools, even though it was in the state-approved textbooks. And so, you know, Bryant was so happy that he'd done this. He said, I'm going to be the prosecutor in the case. They arrested a 25-year-old schoolteacher who had taught evolution in Dayton, Tennessee, and Bryant became the prosecutor. And Clarence Darrow, who is Always been my idol since I read that book by Irving Stone, was incensed. And you know, he had grown to hate uh, Brian, who was once his good friend. And he volunteered to defend scopes for free. And he travels down to Dayton, Tennessee, and to set the stage. Journalists the world over converged on this tiny town. This was the first trial broadcast live on radio, to a riveted nation. I mean, everybody stopped what they were doing for a week, and they tuned in, and they listened to it. And, you know, major newspapers were all their banner headlines every day. And I show pictures in the book of the courtroom, and there are newsreel cameras at the back of the courtroom, and every day there was a waiting plane. Uh, engines revved to fly the newsreel footage to Chicago, where it was immediately... Distributed to uh, movie theaters nationwide. Right, so the world is watching, and it's a question of whether you can teach science in public schools. And the you know Darrow knew that the the stack was you know the deck was stacked against him. the 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 jurors were all you know devoted you know church followers. The judge was an ordained minister, for God's sakes. Um. And Darrow uh, was losing the case. And at the very end, he did something truly extraordinary. He called William Jennings Bryan, the prosecutor, to the witness stand. Now, of course, you can never do that, right? And they just said, well, well, you can't do that. And Bryan stood up and said, oh, Your Honor, I have nothing to fear. I'm happy to tell this courtroom and the audience, the world, that everything in the Bible should be interpreted literally, which, you know, of course, we We know it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And the judge was like, yeah, okay, all right. But I'm moving it outdoors because the courtroom is going to collapse. There are too many people in here. People are fainting in the heat. And there happened to be a big stage outside the courtroom on the front lawn left over from the 4th of July. And so there you have, and I show another picture of this, you have Brian versus Darrow, two iconic figures, a titanic clash. And thousands of people are standing in the background watching this epic battle between two of the most famous people in America. And Darrow utterly destroys William Jennings Bryan on the witness stand. So much so that— Let's you know, leave it as a
1: cliffhanger right there, Greg Jarrett, because I want everybody to hear about it, but I also want to remind them of the book. The book is The Trial of the Century. Uh, from New York Times bestselling author Greg Jarrett. That's two G's, two R's, two T's, Greg Jarrett. I want you to pick up two copies of this book uh, because one, you should read yourself. The other, you should give away and do it while we're on the break because we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez on with our guest, Greg Jarrett. That's Greg with two G's, two R's, and two T's. And Jarrett, he is the author of the book, The Trial of the Century. And, Greg Jarrett, we left off where you were saying that you were, um, well, you were saying you were describing... Uh, Darrow mopping the floor with um, William Jennings Bryan.
5: Yeah, I mean, this outdoor platform where the trial is occurring, Rich, you know, I mean, it never happens today, right? right? Thousands of people looking on and, and Darrow's cross-examination, it was mesmerizing, it was bold, penetrating questions, and he dismantled William Jennings Bryan, who fumbled and fanned himself in the searing heat. And, you know, the crowd loved Bryan. They were his supporters. And, and suddenly they shifted and they started laughing at Bryan because he had no answers to these important questions about uh, the Bible. And look, I love the Bible. The Bible is an important book. But not everything is literal in the book. You know, it's filled with parables and allegories. It tells us important lessons, moral lessons that we can all follow, that Darrow himself followed. And in the end, you know, Bryant was utterly destroyed. And the crowd surges and congratulates the guy they hated, Clarence Darrow, who's always been my idol. And Daryl looked back, as I explained in the book, and there's Brian sitting, you know, in his chair, up on the stage, nobody around him, no friend in the world, destroyed, um, a broken man, and a couple of days later, while still in Dayton, Tennessee, just down the street from the courthouse, he laid down for a nap and he never woke up. Wow. And what it's a, way to a go. really I mean it's a sad epitaph to a once Great man, and I admire William Jennings Bryan as much as I do Clarence Darrow. And so, you know, this trial shifted public opinion, and it spelled the beginning of the end of banning books, and it enabled free speech in America, which is in jeopardy today. You know, I often say people who don't, you know, know history or, or you know, bound to repeat it. It's an old saying, not mine. And it's so true. I mean, we we see it today with censorship and disinformation and, you know, classroom indoctrination and so forth, punitive cancel culture. We're repeating history, Rich. And, you know, if people read this book, I think they'd know
1: better. Well, folks, here's your chance to get the book. It just came out, The Trial of the Century. It's out in hardcover uh, by Greg Jarrett. Two G's, two R's, two T's. Greg Jarrett, let them know uh, your website so we can drive some traffic there. I'm recommending everybody get two books, one for yourselves at summertime and, of course, one to give away at summertime. Give somebody something good to read.
5: <laughs> well, it's very kind of you. Yeah, my website is thegregjarrett.com. Somebody bought the website, Greg Jarrett.com. So it's thegregjarrett.com. And you can click on there and, you know, there's a landing page for the book. You can order it. Or just go to your local bookstore. It's in bookstores nationwide. And, you know, I, I just think it's such an important book. What astounded me, Rich, was that so many people I've met over the last 50 years um, know nothing about this. And, you know, I shudder to think what America would be like but for Clarence Darrow and the courage of his client, John Scopes, the 25-year-old schoolteacher who stood up to censorship and the effort by government to silence people and you know again we're facing that today in so many different venues
1: yeah no it's 100% true and, and every day there's a new uh, a new article out about book banning book banning book banning and you know i think it's it's a different story to say that you can't teach about sex to a, a, in a kindergarten or a third grade classroom right. As it is to say that you you can discuss two sides of an issue like science and evolution and whatnot. I think these are things that should be discussed, uh, and you should really have robust discussion on both sides because that's what free speech is, right? We can talk about the Bible and we can talk about Darwin. And uh, it just, to me, is um, as simple as that. And yet, so many.
5: I totally agree. And I bring that up in the book, especially in the Uh epilogue of the book. I bring it full circle to today and how Darrow would react to for example critical race theory interesting
1: yeah excellent analysis greg jarrett like always thanks for joining us brother check him out at the two g's two r's two t's greg jarrett godspeed my friend thanks for being here
5: rich many thanks as always good to talk to you
1: you bet more to come straight ahead it's rich valdez we'll be right back
10: Valdez, who, again, will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to it.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: So the Senate has passed the uh, debt ceiling bill. Uh, Yesterday, the House passed the debt ceiling bill. I'm presuming tomorrow and the coming days of Joe Biden, President Biden, will be signing the debt bill into law, and that will help the nation... To continue paying its bills, avoid default and add in a ton of extra spending, including pandemic level spending when there's not even a pandemic. But putting all of that aside and taking note of the pandemic and how some people took on extra jobs during the pandemic and some people lost their jobs and others, you know, expanded their jobs. The economy has definitely changed, right? And there's a lot of people that have taken on different types of side gigs or what they call the side hustle. And it's interesting because m- my own career expanded as a result of COVID because a lot of people were afraid to come into the radio studio in New York City, and I wasn't. So many times I was the only guy on the bus into, into the city and then on the subway, and it was, a, it was a surreal experience to see the city that never sleeps asleep. Right. It was just me and the rats in some uh, situations. But we continue now. And there's a lot of people that continue to move forward with this gig economy, the side hustle. Matter of fact, it's even age related. In some cases, we've seen some of our callers that called in recently. Uh, were Younger callers were saying that they have all different types of side hustles where they do e-commerce or drop shipping and things like that. And and maybe a job somewhere, warehouse job or whatever. Uh, but they combine that to make up their, their full income. And it's not that, you know, and the argument I think we were having at the time was, is Gen Z lazier uh, than other generations? And the response from the general Zer that called in was, no, we're not. We just do it differently because it's a new economy, a gig economy. So I want to talk about that with um, coach and speaker uh, Darren Kidd. He's also the author of the book, I Will Until unlock your limitless power to succeed darren kidd welcome to the program all right thanks for having me i appreciate it my pleasure so let's dig in here um is the gig economy something that is uh, here to stay is it expanding um is it shrinking what say you
6: yeah. There's several, several factors that, that, you know, I want to talk about number one, it's pretty interesting that last week I was interviewed on a few different channels about an article that came out that said, look, job satisfaction is at an all time high since 1987. And that's true. <laughs> but what they, they, people didn't talk about was that 51% of business leaders say their organizations will likely have layoffs in 2023. And, as, and they're estimating 30% or more of their workforce will be laid off by the end of the year. And then 70% of the companies are likely to implement a hiring freeze in 2023. So you have all of that going on. Uh, but mm-hmm. at the same time, the timing of you know, inflation increasing faster than it has in the last 40 years, interest rates, you know, car bubble, talking about going to burst, all of those things are people are looking for a way to supplement their income. You know, and and the reason the job satisfaction was up is because employers are realizing, "Hey, look, it's hard to get a good employee, so when you get them, we need to do what we can to retain those employees, and so they're they're working hard to do that, um, but at the same time, you know there's there's going to be less employees. So I think it's just a, a perfect storm of a lot of different things that are coming into place.
1: I agree with you. I think there is a, a lot of moving parts as a lot of some of the economy is growing. Some of it's shrinking. Uh, there's different age groups at play. And I think all of it does matter in a situation like this. Um, and and it, it is a relatively new idea. I mean, I remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I bumped into somebody at a restaurant that I frequent and he was telling me that, you know, he, he's got a regular delivery type of job. Uh, delivering beer for a beer distributor, and he says, "Ah, oh, I start at six a.m. I'm done by you know two, three in the afternoon. I'm done. Uh, I'm home. I'm doing whatever." So, I have extra time, a lot of times I'll you know I'll I'll do some Ubering and whatever, just you know for extra money. And uh, and we were talking about that, and it, and somebody else chimed in and said they did the same thing, and it was just fascinating to me how many people were were doing more than one job and it led me to believe yeah the gig economy is alive and well uh but there was a piece recently in the new york times and i don't read the times too often but this one was an interesting piece uh questioning whether has gig work become a dirty word and the the question becomes you know are, are companies embracing it are companies rejecting it what's your thought on that uh on that front
6: well, it, you know, it's fascinating. I just turned 50 in March and in my early twenties, I birthday. was working a job. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. And, um, the, you know, I was working a job and I kept working harder and harder and no matter how, how hard I worked, I was like, man, they're dictating what I'm worth. I'm not dictating what I'm worth and I need to make additional income and I can't re- work really any harder or any more hours than I am right now. And so I started looking for a side hustle and, I started thirty plus years ago and yeah, you know, I couldn't afford a franchise. I didn't have, you know, my early twenties, the money to go out and have a you know five year lease at several thousand dollars a month and franchises are hundreds of thousands. I own those later, but not in the beginning. So it was actually the side gig and side hustles that started me generating extra income that taught me the life skills to go out there and, you know, we don't make what we want, we make what we are. And so if I wanted to make more, I needed to become more and that completely changed, you know, my world. Um, so, you know, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, the I'm speaking Saturday here in Dallas at, a, at an event mm-hmm. on the power of affiliate programs and how people are looking for side hustles and affiliate programs to supplement their income. Uh, they love the flexibility. They love the freedom and uh, they can do it at their own pace. And so I do believe that it's here to stay. And with the prices of everything increasing and with layoffs. You know that are that are in the near future. There's only going to be more and more people that are looking for that. So the companies that are innovative, they're thinking outside the box. You know, they're reinventing themselves. If you look at the blockbuster and Netflix example, you know, blockbuster's like, look, we don't need to, we don't need to change. You know, we're we're crushing it, and they literally laughed Netflix out of their office when they offered them to purchase them, money for 50 million. And now, blockbuster bankrupted a billion in debt. Netflix dominating. So I believe that now is the Mm -hmm. time the biggest transfer of wealth happens during recessions, depressions, and during wars. If we do the right thing, we ask the right questions. So I believe the companies that that are thinking that way, they're working harder to maybe have a little bit more flexibility because the the hybrid model, in my opinion, is here to stay. It's not going to be just remote. It's not just in the office, but it's more of a hybrid model. And if the employees are happy, fulfilled, you have a great culture, uh, they know that they can... There's room for job growth. All of that increases performance, productivity, profits, and it's good for the company and it's good for the employees.
1: Listen, I, I, I agree with that, and I think that um, I agree with the statement, right, that, that people are looking for that type of flexibility. I don't know how effective it is, and I, I, it reminds me of when Elon Musk a few months ago took a lot of heat saying, look, if you want to work here, you got to come in. You got to show up in the office and, and others doing similar. And I know there was a lot of people saying, well, I don't want to do that. And there seems to be some people that love working from home. And there's others like me that I, I don't like working from home. I would much prefer, uh, prefer and rather be in, a, um, in an environment where my colleagues are there in the situation of broadcasting uh, over the radio. I would love for an engineer to be here if there's something going on. I don't want to have to order one to my home studio and that type of thing. So I, I realize that, you know, not every job is is designed for, for hybrid. And how do you think we overcome some of those hurdles?
6: Well, first of all, I would say that my wife would agree with you. She doesn't like me working from home either. (laughs) She (laughs) likes me. She wants me out of her hair. She's like, yeah, go to work. Why don't you, Um, you need to do more. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But after 30 years of marriage and five kids, I may not be kidding. Just just don't ask her that question. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I believe it's just asking the right questions. It depends on the, the business model depends on the company. Uh, but for the right companies. And, and I think there's a fine line too, because in an article that I'm sure you, you saw and, and mm-hmm. it talked about the quiet quitting, right? The yeah. employees are at a point going, hey, look, you know what? I'm not going to do as much. I, I refuse to do more. So they're quiet quitting and doing just enough to get by. And I think that's the wrong mindset. You know, I was taught by my mentors early on that, hey, look, you know, <laughs> you, my attitude was when I got laid off, you know, the, the first time and I'm like, man, this, this really stinks. Cause I was working really hard. I really wanted to move up in the company, but yet everything that I worked for just went down the drain. And I go, so next time I'm going to become so valuable, you know, we get paid based on the value that we bring to the marketplace. I'm going to work on me so hard because I don't make what I want. I make what I am. And if I want to make more, I need to become more. So I started working on me, like where you are your biggest asset, and I go, right. next time if there's going to be a layoff, they're not going to be laying off me. I they're going to be, be afraid it. to lose me. Exactly. Right.
1: All right. Exactly. Well, let's pause right there. Let's take a quick break. Folks, we're on with Darren Kidd. He's an uh, author and coach, speaker as well. He wrote the book, I Will Until, Unlock Your Limitless Power to Succeed. I want to talk about the book when we come back. Darren Kidd, stick around with us. Folks, if you want to join the conversation, it's 833-482-5337, 8334 valdez
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez. We're on with Darren Kidd. He is a speaker and author of the book, I Will Until Unlock Your Limitless Power to Succeed. Darren Kidd, tell us um, about the book.
6: All right, Rich. Yeah, thanks again for having me. And it was 25 years ago, I walked into my, my master bedroom and I shut the door behind me, and I'm walking past our windows, and we had sheets tacked on the windows because my wife and I couldn't afford curtains. And there was this big two-foot Coca-Cola plastic piggy bank where I told my oldest daughter, I'm like, hey, look, you know, she was a little girl at that time. I go, hey, put your change in this bank, and someday we'll go to Disney World. And, you know, someday was exactly what my dad was saying even on his deathbed. You know, someday we'll do this, and someday we'll do that. And yeah. And I learned really quickly that someday leads to a town called Nowhere. <laughs> but I also learn that some people, some days are other people's everydays, Right. And so here I am, I'm dumping this, this bank out on the floor and going through the change and I could smell the old change smell. And I'm sitting there going, man, God, how could I be this low where I'm bankrupt? My car's repossessed. I'm a college dropout. You know, I can't feed my family. Couldn't make it through college. Our house looks abandoned, you know, and, and I was just so frustrated. I was depressed, went to the doctor for depression, and my daughter walks in to see me take her money for Disney and runs out crying. And that's when I just said, I've wow. had enough. That's it. It hurt bad enough. Right. I believe, you know, in any, I walked in the other room and I wrote on a three by five index card. I go, I will until, and that was the mindset and the perspective. I tell you, well, you can't change your life overnight, but you can dang sure change the direction of your life overnight. And so from that point forward, I went out and, you know, invested, you know, thousands It's now been multiple six figures in my education and just worked really hard and went through thousands of books and seminars and programs and masterminds that led me to build, you know, multiple businesses that did, you know, several hundred million dollars in sales and have franchises and and just so that's why now I'm so passionate about, you know, that book is very simple to read, but it's I called it snackable content, you know, because Mm
9: -hmm.
6: I believe we're made in the image of our creator and we're created for success and the world programs us for failure. We're told more on a daily basis, more about our limitations than our possibilities. So that book is a sampling of just, Hey, look, you know, I believe that we, we have so much potential inside of us and we're not even tapping even the smallest percentage of it.
1: Outstanding. That's a great story, and I love the philosophy behind it. Folks, we're on with uh, Darren Kidd. He's uh, a coach, a trainer, and a speaker. He wrote the book, I Will Until, Unlock Your Limitless Power to Succeed. We're going to continue with him straight ahead. If you have a question or comment, uh, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's VALDEZ with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. We're wrapping up with Darren Kidd. He's a coach, author, and speaker. He wrote the book, I Will Until. And that was a great story of how you uh, got to where you are. Uh, Darren Kidd let's give us uh, some closing thoughts and let everybody know why they need to get the book.
6: Yeah. So a lot of times we, we have goals and dreams. I mean, like many of you that are, that are listening, you know, we know we were created for more, but yet a lot of times we don't know where to start. And like me, I I continue to have all these excuses we can make excuses or go out and achieve our goals and dreams, but it's hard to do both. And so we're sitting there and that was me. I'm like, man, they must come from a big city. I live in a small town. You know, they must be, I have a college education. At that time, I had a lack of education. They must yeah. be great public speakers. You know, I'm, I'm not at that point. And so this just gives you a little bit of that foundation to start going in the right direction, focusing on getting just a little bit better every day and the right mindset and attitude and perspective in order to move in the direction to achieve your goals and dreams.
1: Outstanding. And if people want to uh, pick up a copy of the book, how do they get it?
6: They can go to Iwilluntil.com. Iwilluntil.com. They can purchase the book. Um, they can look at my speaking page if they're interested in me speaking for one of their events or their companies. All that is on the website.
1: I love, I love the idea of I will until as opposed to, you know, one day we will. That's, um, that's just uh, fantastic. Darren Kidd, I want to thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Very insightful. And Godspeed to you, my friend.
6: Thank you so much. Appreciate you.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Now, folks, in the next hour, we're going to get to your calls and so much more. I love the final hour of the program, hour number three, because it's the homage that we do to what Larry King started back in 1978, open phone America, taking calls from all over the country, and it's unscripted, and I love it. it anything goes, it's on, you know, any topic is on the table and, of course, you can't curse or anything like that. But I'm happy to have the conversation, whether you agree or disagree. Let me give you the number. It's 833-482-5337, 8334-VALDEZ. We have a number of topics that we've discussed tonight that are, are you know, on the table. But we also have whatever you want to bring. And I also want to remind everybody, we have lots of really meaningful conversations on this program uh, I mentioned earlier that, you know, in my years as a producer in talk radio, I, I I met a lot of people and in my years working in politics and in business, I met people and, and I've had the, the good fortune of, you know, when, when I have a question or something I don't understand or I want to understand a little better, I'm always able to call somebody that I know and say, hey, what, what do you think about this? You know, and I love the fact that I'm able to do that on this program because, you know, prior to hosting this particular show, I didn't bring guests on my radio show. Very rarely did I do that. I mean, you know, maybe every now and again, or if I did, it was a one-segment guest, but it was never a long-form interview the way the format of this show is, and and I love that I'm able to have these conversations really with all of you, right, whether it's uh, the conversation we had with President Trump or Stephen A. Smith or um, Secretary Pompeii or a- any number of of newsmakers that have called into this program, the people that have called in this week and even on today's program, and uh, I, it's really something that I, I think is just special that it is happening live and where you can call in and speak with them as well. I love that. And, uh, and I love the audience here, and I just wanted to share that with you. And if you've ever missed any of the interviews that we do here, these conversations are all archived, and you can check them out on our website. Yep, there's a website for the show. It's Rich Valdez. Of course, that is Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez. America at night.com all together, rich Valdez, America at night.com. We wanted to make sure it's long. So you wouldn't forget it. You know, it's memorable, (laughs) but that's the website, rich Valdez, America at night.com. You can sign up there for the website. I mean, for the um, newsletter, you could sign up there as well to leave a comment for the program. You could also sign up to subscribe to the podcast or you don't have to sign up for anything. You can just press a button on any of our archive shows. If you like the particular guest, everything's there. There's a a synopsis of the show, and you can go there as well. So I wanted to remind you of that because I'm supposed to remind you, I think, once an hour, and I I don't rarely do as much self-promotion as I'm told to do. So uh, I'll get better at that, I promise. By the way, uh, tomorrow I'm looking forward to uh, joining America's largest talk radio convention talkers 2023 i'll be uh, one of their panelists and i'm looking forward to that as well so big thanks to michael harrison for the invitation uh it's going to be a great time i imagine it's my first time speaking at talkers even attending talkers anyway we'll talk about that a little bit more later on i am rich valdez and we'll be right back Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you on America's late-night National Town Hall Forum, America at Night. And uh, make sure you give us a call, 833-482-5337, the number 4. Valdez is the phone number, and happy to speak with you guys on any topic. It's open phone, America. I see there's calls already in the queue, and I'm going to get to you guys momentarily. But I wanted to... Um, just recap a little bit of what's going on today, because there was um, the, the big breaking news that happened during the show tonight was that the Senate voted for the bill, the McCarthy-Biden debt ceiling bill. That happened tonight. There was a vote and an announcement. Listen to this.
8: On this vote, the yeas are 63, the nays are 36, the 60-vote threshold having been achieved. The bill is passed.
1: So the bill passed, and it also passed last night in the House of Representatives, where Kevin McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, uh, gave some comments on how we are spending less, and that was part of the
2: goal. Listen to this. Tonight, I hope we proved it to you again, that we put the citizens of America first. And we didn't do it by taking the easy way. We didn't do it by the ways that people did it in the past by just lifting it. We decided that you had to spend less and we achieved that goal. Is it everything I wanted? No. But sitting with one house, with a democratic Senate and a democratic president who didn't want to meet with us, I think we did pretty dang good for the American public.
1: That's speaker, Kevin McCarthy. Now, of course, Chuck Schumer weighed in tonight trying to take his own victory lap saying, we tore this thing apart and we made it the best deal ever. Listen to this.
5: And very importantly, We did a very good job of taking the worst parts of the Republican plan that would have hurt so many families, and we took those worst parts off
1: the table. What about all the massive spending that hurts families? What about all of the unnecessary pandemic-level spending and this COVID spending that caused me to go into my favorite Cuban place to get a cup of coffee yesterday? And uh, the uh, owner-operator, his name is Ruben, by the way, he tells me, he tells me, I didn't know we were giving money to China to investigate COVID. For what? For what? (laughs) <laughs> I said, brother, we've been talking about that for a long time. You should be paying more attention and listening to this show. But unfortunately, um, that's exactly where we are. We're still spending that instead of spending six trillion, we're spending four trillion. Uh, so I will give kudos to McCarthy on, on that front. Uh, I don't want to slight him in any way. This is the biggest uh, savings that that that. What he said is true. Uh, I guess just so many of us didn't want to spend four trillion dollars or see that part of it become reality. But it did. And it flew through the House and it flew through the Senate. So I guess the expectations uh, of many Americans, at least for me, um, definitely don't match up with the the outcomes that are coming out of Washington. But that's no surprise. Right. Anyway, I want to know what you guys think about this debt bill and get your thoughts. Our telephone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. Let's go to Brooklyn, New York, listening to WFAS Online. Alex, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome.
11: Hey, Rich. Thanks for taking the call. Um, in this bill, right, there's no budget for the next year. There's no there's no budget stuff that was passed in this bill. And so there's a lot of talk about, wow, we got a two-year spending limit. I think that's that's really crap, unless I'm getting it wrong. We don't need a spending limit if it's only for two years when the Republicans have the House. So that's not something that we gained out of this raising of the debt deal with the Democrats. But we got we got insignificant stuff when it comes to clawing back and some of the bills that have passed, but we didn't spend yet. But I do think that we couldn't have gotten much more. Kevin McCarthy couldn't have gotten much a better deal than what he got from the Biden administration, and that's because I don't think that Joe Biden and the Biden administration would care if we default. by not having the debt raised because then up until now we have a bunch of disasters facing our country with inflation and wars abroad and gas prices this high. All of these things are directly linked to policies and decisions made by the Biden administration. So he blames MAGA and, Trump's, and the Trump people and Republicans, but it's not sellable. And I don't think anybody buys it, even Democrats, because there's no truth in that. But now, if, if we would default, and he would say, We defaulted, and his campaign slogan of 2024 would be, Because Republicans didn't raise the debt limit with, with, and with no strings attached to it. So he'd say, Republicans are responsible for all the disasters in our country. And he would have said, Oh, we were coming out of the inflation problem and gasoline. Prices were going to go down, but then we defaulted because of Republicans, and that's why we're in a disastrous situation. It'd be exaggerated, for sure, but it'd be some truth to it because the fact is Republicans could have raised the that limit with with uh, no strings attached, uh, and if we would have defaulted, he would have had some form of argument here for twenty twenty four, and now he has nothing.
1: Yeah, interesting point. Interesting point. This is the point I've been trying to, to discover. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong. If you're right or wrong. Uh, But I do know that there there I believe that Biden would have had fault if there was default and he would. But he was going around saying he'd be blameless. And this was the part where, you know, some were telling me, look, you might know because you talk about this stuff every night, but most people that are at work every day. Aren't paying attention that closely, and they would have believed whatever they saw in the news. And if the news started telling them that Republicans caused the default and a shutdown, and and all of this, you know, bad uh, repercussions to happen, uh, all the negativity would have been strung around the necks of Republicans, and there would have been hell to pay. And and that may in fact be true because it's not like we have uh, some major media behind us. Of course, maybe major talk radio media, but outside of that, um, you know. We don't have the, the, the mainstream by and large, Alex. So I, I think you might be right. And uh, I think you're also right on the McCarthy thing uh, with respect to it being the best deal that he was going to get. I think you're, you're probably right there. I, and and the reason I think you're right is because as I look at it more and more and I think about it more and more, I realize that this was a president who uh, early on said he wasn't he wasn't playing ball. He wasn't joining anybody at any table. And then he had to cut his trip short and come back and negotiate. Then they walked away. Then they got back together. Then they walked away again. You know, this time, then the Republicans walked mm-hmm. away. And it, it seemed that, you know, while we didn't get everything that we were asking for or that, I guess, in our on our fantasy wish list, um, we got something. And I hate to look at things like that. It's kind of like people say, listen, I'm grateful, you know, my kids aren't axe murderers, they're not in jail. Since when is that the standard, right? <laughs> Everybody's kids should not be an axe murderer and should not be in jail. You know, so I think we we should raise our own standards for what we consider um, a a political win. But in a case like this, it's not you managing your kids and their outcomes. This is you going up against um, the swamp, the entirety of the swamp, and their ability to spend your money. And this is what I think ticks them off the most. So thank you, Alex. I appreciate the call. Big shout out to everybody listening in New York City on WFAS. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle.
0: Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's VALDEZ with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-482-5337 and uh, we're continuing our discussion on what happened today in America if it happened during the day we're talking about it here at night that's the tradition of the program and i love to hear from all of you let's um continue this now joe biden president biden took a spill a really hard fall at the air force academy commencement ceremony and this is um again i um i i didn't laugh right when i saw it i actually i, I kind of uh, winced and and I felt like, oh, man, I remember my dad falling. If anybody's listening to the show, you know, my dad fell down and 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 uh, suffered a traumatic brain injury. And it really changed his life and all of our family. And he eventually recovered, you know, in large part, some things he never recovered, but in large part he did. And I, I never take this stuff um, lightly because, you know, I mean, falling up the stairs is one thing, right? When he trips and misses a step and, you know, that's one thing. But when you fall the way he fell, it was, it was a hard fall. It seemed like a hard fall. Um, I'm hoping that the White House will put out a statement later and saying he's all right and everything's fantastic. If they did, I missed it. And uh, I'm glad that they did. And I hope there's no additional announcements from them saying that, you know, okay, you know, there's additional bruising or anything else. But it didn't look good for him. And at a uh, campaign event in I believe it's is it Iowa? Des Moines, Iowa, Um, former President Trump was uh, at a uh, campaign event with uh, Fox News host Sean Hannity. And they were having a back and forth on the Biden fall. And then subsequently, they discussed Biden's mental health. But I want you to hear the first part of this clip, which is uh, President Trump, uh, in my opinion, being very gracious and not wanting to get into making fun of Biden and the fall. Listen to
3: this. I want to start with the current president. Um, Did you see the video of when he fell? And and did you see the video? He actually said, uh, by the way, I met with... um, who are those guys that are going to fly over shortly? Yeah. Yeah, that's your president uh, right not, now. Not too good. It's sad. It's sad. It's not, you know, it's, uh, they're representing, we are all representing the country. You've become president and uh, you're sort of not allowed to do that. But it's happened. It's happened and it's happened pretty badly. Uh, we won't go into it, but we all know the ones. And they, uh, they count those acts, you know, they never forget. But that was a bad fall.
1: So that's President Trump, again, uh, saying it, it's a pretty serious thing. And uh, I just want to remind everybody, when it was Trump speaking at one of the academies for their graduation that had to kind of walk very slowly down the ramp, and uh, the general kind of guided him a little bit because he was wearing these leather-bottomed shoes, and he was saying, I didn't want to slip because I knew it was like soap, and it was like ice, and I was going to slip straight down if if uh, and it was really hot. He was saying... <clears throat> Whatever the case was. So um, I remember and that was, oh, they were saying, oh, uh, Trump has all these cognitive deficits. This is a big problem. He's having an issue walking. Just look at it. This is the beginning of Parkinson's. The walls are closing in. I remember the whole thing like yesterday. And it's just um, amazing how nobody's saying that about Biden right now, right? They're not saying, oh, my gosh, Biden. I mean, you might have me or somebody else saying that, you know, Sean Hannity is is taking up the task on that. But um, I don't hear that happening, by and large, by um, the media. And um, Trump and Hannity also had a difference of opinion on this, where it seemed that Trump didn't want to go after Biden's mental capability. He really kind of took the high road on this one. And Hannity, well, he called him sippy cup Joe. Listen to this.
3: So in past interviews that we've had together, and we've had many over the years, I have asked you repeatedly about what you think about Joe Biden's cognitive state. I've asked you about, is he up to the job physically, mentally, you have been very reluctant to go there. Um, I'm not reluctant. To me, I've, does I've everyone agree that. with me that this guy's cognitively not there? I doubt he knows what day of the week it is today. That's how, that, that's how bad I think it's gotten for him. Why are you reluctant to call that out? Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. I actually called Sean, and I, I asked Sean not to joke about it. I was joking. Because he about it. used to joke about it. And I said, honestly, I don't think it looks good for you or for anybody for you to joke about it because it's a serious problem. I was talking about sippy cup and warm milky at night. And
1: OK, so that's them. there um, going at it there. But I, again, uh, Trump taking the high road here, saying he didn't want to get into that. And I think um, it shows some of his discipline as a candidate where he's he's doing a lot better um, in terms of staying on message and keeping it on. I think the issues that are really important to Americans right now. Um, but this is one, I think, where we, we should be, uh, be concerned about Joe Biden. And for me, I feel really bad. I hope he's not hurt. Kareem Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, says he's, quote, unquote, totally fine. I hope he is. Uh, but it looked like a really tough spill and he probably got bruised up in the process. And it, it just goes to show you that, again, virality is important. And the, and the, the way you portray America moving forward is also important. Uh, let's uh, go to Doc in Wilmington, Delaware, WDEL. Doc, Doc, I know you're one of Biden's neighbors. What say you on this topic?
8: A couple things. things. Well, I'll talk about the debt in a moment. I'll talk about President Biden first. It's a well-known fact inside the state of Delaware that he's not doing well. Here's why. Uh, Delaware is a tiny state. We only have three counties, as you know. Uh, we mm-hmm. only have... Three cities there are sizable, sizable size. Wilmington, number one, Dover, number two, and the town nearest maybe size of Wilmington. Uh, we pronounce it Newark here. And about 20, 20, 30,000 people our university is located. Uh, people that I know of that are connected to the Democratic Party here in Delaware are saying President Biden is not doing well physically and he's not doing well mentally as far as cognitive decline. It's all known all across the state. The media is in, is in uh, total lockdown about it. they won't talk about it either locally here in the state at any level and nationally. It's one of the biggest scandals of our time as far as I'm concerned that they won't talk about President Biden and its state of affairs. Now they're on the debt. We have been, according to a lot of authorities, and you won't take a plug for the show, so I'm not going to get cut off. I won't put one on. We have been, as far as the debt goes, and Ross Pro has stated, we have been in, in, in very, very deep trouble since 2001 when we've been in decline on the debt. Mm-hmm. When you t- took take into account, Rich, unfunded liabilities, three things only, hear me out all federal pensions, particularly veterans' pensions, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. We've been in the deep end on the federal debt since 2001. What we're doing is we're printing money, we're turning that money into T-bills, and we sell the T-bills to the American people, investors all around the globe, and foreign nations. That's what's paying for our debts, the the sale of U.S. government securities. If the reserve currency ever ever, ever goes off the, off the curve, and at least then countries and, and, and the BRICS nations and others refuse to accept dollars for oil and other things, or if countries start to unload their T-bills, as George H. W. Bush would say, we are in deep, deep, deep doo-doo. I'd like your, your thoughts on that, since you and I go back to the PhD, the big talker here in Philadelphia, where you took my calls <laughs> when you started there years ago.
1: Yes, sir. Well, thank you for that, Doc. And, and just a quick shout-out to uh, our friends at WPHT. I'm going to see a whole bunch of them. Rich, the only Greg Stocker, uh, Dom Giordano, going to see all of those guys tomorrow at the Talkers Conference. It's a big talk radio conference in New York. And um, we're, we're all going to be there tomorrow rubbing elbows with uh, the rest of the talk radio guys from across the country. So I'm glad you brought that up, Doc. But yet you're right. Uh, and I, I don't know if I could put my finger on it as of 2001. I think there's, this has been going on for quite a while This is the new way of of financing things. And and most of it started after Nixon took America off of the gold standard. And here we are building this uh, financial house of cards that could potentially come down at any moment. And this is why I feel um, so strongly about national defense, because if you have this financial house of cards built on fiat currency, okay, that's the way we do it. Whether you agree with it or not, that's what makes the economy go round, and it, it works. Even though it doesn't work forever, it works for now. And I'm not supporting it. I'm just saying that it does work right now. However, big issue comes into play is people will will always respect or fear the the United States as long as they are the the top dog, the superpower that has all of the armaments to to back up you know their rhetoric. But the moment that we don't and we can't, and the moment that you know our our currency's kneecapped. Our military has been kneecapped. What's the use? Who needs the United States, right? Who needs the United States if they won't stand up uh, to the Chinese to protect Taiwan? Who needs the United States if they won't stand up to Russia to protect Ukraine? Who needs the United States if, if you really can't count on them? When the proverbial substance hits the fan. And I think that's where we are. So that's why we need a change of leadership at the top to reposition and turn this thing around. Thank you, Doc, for the call. Big shout out to WDEL and everybody else that's out there. We're coming right back to your calls and more. 833 4Valdes. 833 4Valdes. We'll be right back.
0: Three seven eight three three four Valdes. That's Valdez with an S.
1: So Thursday, June 1st, was the beginning of what uh, those in the LGBTQ movement call Pride Month. And nearly one in ten adults around the globe identify as LGBTQ, according to a new survey. About 9% of adults from around the world identify themselves as LGBTQ, according to this global survey that was released on Thursday. The survey was conducted by Ipsos and found that 3% of those around the world identify as lesbian or gay, 4% as bisexual, 0.9% as pansexual, and 0.9% as asexual. That's weird. Uh, The survey noted that those in Generation Z, people born after 1997, were more than twice as likely to identify as bisexual, pansexual, or asexual than millennials, and more than four times as likely than those in Generation X and baby boomers. (laughs) No kidding, right? Anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I want to get back to your calls. Uh, Let us go to Chauncey. Chauncey in... Redfield, South Dakota, KSDN. Chauncey, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
12: Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciated some of your guests in the last few weeks. I don't listen to you steady throughout your program, but I usually get to listen to it a little bit. Oh, thank you. Uh, I appreciated, yeah, uh, Vance Elliott Ephraim. I appreciated him and his talking about uh, Martin Luther King. That was Oh nice. yeah, the other night, that was an
1: interesting conversation. Uh, yeah,
12: that really was. Yeah, William, uh, the other night talking a uh, Navy guy. I uh, think that was last night. Very interesting. The yes, people, sir. He talked about naked, and and I like the way he expressed that. <laughs> that <was laughs> right, <interesting>. right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and uh, uh, and I, I, I appreciate the way mm-hmm. you relate with people. That's nice. You talk oh, with you. them and listen to them, and that's really nice. So, now,
1: did you have okay. a comment on religion tonight?
12: I do, Rick. Uh, yeah, several go right ahead. kind of brief comments. I really wasn't ready, I was surprised I even got through. But, uh, having a measure of, of wisdom is really a, a gift from God, and, uh, you know, that's that's a nice thing. Uh, And I appreciate, you know, that people give uh, God a a little point in life, a little small interest, you know, in people. Yeah, yeah. I think we should should always give a big
1: shout out to God, right? (laughs) Nothing's possible without the big man upstairs, Chauncey.
12: Yeah, yeah, thank you. And so at any rate, I just wanted to highlight the value of the Bible, the plan of God, the sovereignty of God. Um, the truths of the Bible, you know, and sure. really, it's something that people can't see because they haven't really got into it, and they haven't had the right kind of uh, influence so that they can really know biblical things to that extent. And that's something I see in relating to people, you know. Yeah, and I, I think you
1: raise like a great thought, point, Chauncey. And for me, you know, faith in my life has always played a very important role, and I'm, I can tell from from uh, the way you speak about faith, it's important to you. And biblical truth is truth nonetheless, right? And oftentimes I think it's probably one of the most accurate history books out there. And when it comes to science, um, there's always these interesting articles that I see where it it shows that, you know, things that we test in science and we, you know, experiment with ultimately end up proving the Bible to be right so many times And I think that's uh, always interesting. Of course, I'm no scientist, nor am I a theologian, but I I noticed those things along the way. And I also think it's important to take note of them. Thank you, Chauncey, for the call. Big shout out to everybody listening in Redfield, South Dakota on KSDN. Let us continue our journey across the country. Let's go to Cadminton, Missouri, uh, KRMS, and check in with our friend Ed. Ed, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
10: Hey, Rich. Long-time listener. First-time caller. I listen oh, to you well, on the hey, way home from work.
1: Thank you for listening, my brother. What's on your mind tonight?
10: Well, I read through that bill that was going to be passed. Who knows what that $14 trillion is going to go for. But at the end of the caption I was reading, it says, military spending is going to grow, and that's okay, so long as it stays in our country. I, I don't agree with I'm, I don't agree with how much we're giving to Ukraine since they weren't supposed to be attacking Russia inside their own. They're attacking Moscow. They're attacking the border towns with all our drones. And it's obvious we're doing it and we're helping them. It just bothers yeah. me.
1: Listen, well, I think Ukraine has to be able to defend itself. Uh, and I think it's my personal opinion is that they, they should have taken a more aggressive stance way early on. We didn't because I believe Biden is, is a true pacifist at heart and he just wanted to, you know, allow Putin to posture because I think he believes, you know, as long as Putin postures, uh, he gets. But the thing is, it's not just posturing. Putin wants a land grab. He wants to, you know, last time it was Crimea. This time it's uh, that Donbass region and anything else he can get his hands on. So I think Ukraine has to do that. And the reason I think all of this is because it was the United States, um, I guess it was during the Clinton years, right? Or maybe at the end of the, um, uh, the Reagan-Bush years. Uh, but there was the uh, Budapest Memorandum of Security Assurances. And I've spoken with a couple of uh, Reagan-era folks that were privy to this stuff. <clears throat> and they've all made it clear that it, we insisted, and I think uh, Bill Clinton's <clears throat> um, administration finalized this stuff, because uh, I, I discussed it with Dick Morris when we, we had him on. Uh, but it was ultimately we 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 persuaded them to give up their nukes. And it, it's a shame. And it it's shameful, in my opinion, to say, hey, look, give up your nukes and we'll protect you. And then Russia comes a knocking and we don't protect them. Right. So I think, you know, this is beyond arming them. This is we are supposed to protect them. And we didn't do that. And we could protect them as simply as saying, hey, I'm picking up my Oval Office phone and I'm saying, hi, doesn't matter what my name is. I am the president of the United States and you know what I can do. So you, you got to slow your roll because Ukraine's with me. Now, Ukraine may be a bad actor. They may lo- like to launder money. They may like to do lots of bad things. But we have a commitment to them because we made them give up their nukes. So they're in this this mess in many ways because of the United States and the policy of disarming them. So I think we owe them that because that's what the um, memorandum of security assurances was all about. So we've got to keep our word uh, on that front. Now on the other front, yeah, I don't think we should be sending the money hand over fist for what? They're a bunch of crooks most of the time. Uh, why on earth would you send money to a bunch of guys that, you know, uh, spend more money than Democrats do, right? Don't do it. Don't be silly. So Ed, I think you, you raise a, a very interesting point. There's a lot to be learned as you flip through the pages of this bill and it's, um, th- while there is some good with it, there's a lot that's bad with it. I agree with
10: you. Ed. And well, I, I agree that we sh- we should help the little guy like we always do. I agree with that 100%. But there has to be, li- there's sh- well, there should be limitations on what they're doing because Russia's even moving nukes around closer to that area. Sure, and
1: yeah, they're not going to stay shut. Right. They're going to say, oh, you want to You want to send your drones over here. You want to hit this. You want to do that. We're going to flex on you, too. And, uh, and, and and this is why I believe Biden needs to flex his muscle and say, hey, look, I happen to be president of the United States, which still holds a considerable amount of sway, especially when we're the the, the main NATO player and and Ukraine is somebody we have a commitment to. So, I mean, for me, this is a no brainer where it could be resolved diplomatically. That's why when, when people criticize Trump saying I could end this in 24 hours, I, I, I would I would try to end it in 24 hours, too, because I, I would make every veiled threat I could and say, look, I'm not going to say what I'm going to do. But I'm telling you, I have you know what I'm able to do. And don't force me to do what I'm able to do. I mean, it's just that simple. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, the old gangsters in Brooklyn. Say, you want I should you want I should introduce you to so and so. Right. It's like hey, it's over for you if I introduce you to so and so. You don't want that to happen, do you? It would be a shame for something to happen to that nice blah, 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 that type of thing. You know, I mean, ultimately, I think that's the type of diplomacy that we need. Anyway, Ed, thank you for listening faithfully and for calling in tonight. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Cadminton, Missouri. And we're going to be coming back momentarily, continuing with your calls. I see we got calls from Jersey, Jersey in the building, Montana's in the building and more. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ.
0: Breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: So there was a simulation of a drone that was being operated by this um, licensed AI software, uh, artificial intelligence operating this drone. And in a simulation, it killed a human operator in a surreal military test. Uh, This AI licensed drone was trained to cause destruction and it ended up turning on its human operator in a simulated test. So this didn't really happen, but uh, a top air force official reportedly revealed this at a London summit. Uh, Colonel Tucker Cinco Hamilton said that during the presentation that the future combat air and space capabilities, um, these artificial intelligence enabled drones were changed ...because the drone's task and mission had ended up attacking the human that was operating the drone. And the cautionary tale was relayed in a blog post, blah, 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 we'll go forward. Ultimately, um, again, the, uh, a human still had to fire the, the sign-off to, to shoot at the site that it had identified. But um, it was problematic nonetheless that it turned on the person... And, um, you know, now there's questions around what happens with no-go instructions from humans and getting in the way of the greater mission of the um, surface-to-air missiles or the surface-to-air missile sites, what they're calling SAM sites, uh, in this uh, simulation. So crazy, right? We are just talking about Ukraine and how they're hitting Moscow, and we've got our own drones that are killing the drone operator. It's crazy, crazy, absolutely crazy. Anyway, let us continue with your calls. Uh, let's go to Charles. He's listening in Ridgefield, New Jersey. That's close to where I live. Charles, welcome. How you doing, Rich? Oh, I'm. good. This is Charles Laton. <laughs> this is Charles Laton. <laughs> Charles Laton is an old friend of mine. Charles Laton, how are you, sir?
13: I'm all right, brother man. I just I, I've been listening, man. Listen, I, 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 I haven't been into the the politics and stuff like that, but the past few months i've been i've been more more focused and more into it and and i'm loving the show man i'm I just calling to congratulate you i've been listening the past few days believe it or not and Thank i you. actually was gonna call and say caladrill first <laughs> but you were gonna know charles
1: latani's from the caladrill factory
13: The caladrill factory but no but very very good man i'm very proud of, of you brother you know we go a long way And, and and I'm just, I'm just happy, man. I'm happy to to see you doing big things. And I I love, I love everything so far. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Charles. I appreciate that. And you know, I believe it's important for us to have these, these late night national conversations. And of course other hosts are doing it at different parts of the day. Uh, I like doing it at night because a, that's the, the gig that I got, but B because after everybody else has talked about all their news, there's always things that break at night. Like tonight, We had the uh, debt ceiling vote, and for many people, they don't care, but eventually everybody's going to care because what happens in Washington ends up affecting your pocket, my pocket, our children's pockets, and ultimately, as we get older and older, we realize, you know what, it's okay to go out and have a good time, but it gets harder and harder to have a good time when the government gets in the way. At least, that's my opinion. So, I like to have that conversation, and, and I'm always grateful for people like you that say, look, you know, I'm just a regular guy doing my thing, working in my profession, and I don't care about politics. And I don't care that you, that you care or don't care because it's not about politics. We do the show, I think, to entertain, to inform, to keep people up to speed on everything that's going on in America. And, uh, and I do appreciate that, Charles.
13: You're doing a great job, brother. Appreciate Amen. you,
1: brother. Well, thank you. Love. I appreciate you, too. God bless you, my man. Anyway, we're going to continue with the calls. That was a very nice call from my man, Charles. And uh, let's go to Debbie. Debbie is calling us from Grand Island, Nebraska, K-R-V-N. I like that, K-R-V-N. I wonder what those callers stand for. Debbie, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
14: Thank you. Good evening. I'm really, I think, something about, it's K-R-V-N. Well, it's Rural Voice of Nebraska. How about that?
1: Ah, cool, cool. I was thinking uh, K, Rich Valdez Network.
14: But go right ahead. Very good. It worked. It worked perfectly. You might have to, you know, syndicate a little bit something there with them. I don't know. Well, I think we're on. First time I listened to you tonight, Jerry, I I thank you um, for being on. When I was a young girl, my grandfather had a little transistor radio and when he woke up at night and he couldn't sleep or wonder what the world was going to be like. um, He listened to talk radio in the middle of the night. In the um, middle of the sand hills, way out, way out by KRVN's, I guess main round that they uh, broadcasted to. But um, mm-hmm. thank you so much for being there. For a lot of us, I happen to be uh, almost a nine-year-old widow, and it gets pretty lonely at nights. And to have somebody talk about just basic stuff to keep our minds sharp, I appreciate you being out there.
1: Oh, Thank you, Debbie. And I have to say, you know, whatever um, your your family members were listening to is likely my predecessor, the late great Jim Bohannon or his predecessor, Larry King. This program has been around for 45 years, and it's an honor to me every day that I get on this microphone to to be on a show that's only had three hosts in the last 45 years. And uh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to to keep your company straight till 1 a.m. Eastern in the morning time. I realize that it is a lonely thing. And as a young man, I wasn't lonely. I wasn't anything. I was looking for traffic and news and weather one day. And I found uh, a guy named Curtis Sliwa, uh talking on the radio, arguing with another guy named Ron Kuby. And I got hooked on talk radio after that. I said, this is some of the best stuff I've heard ever. And I was dropping off my now 20... Is going to be 22-year-old daughter at daycare when she was uh, just a little wee little tot. So thank you, Debbie. Very kind words from you, and I appreciate it. Uh, feel free to call anytime. Uh, I am your friend in the evening, and I'm, I'm grateful for your listenership. Big shout-out to Grand Island, Nebraska, and everybody on KRVN. Thank you, Debbie, and we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez.
1: Of course, I mentioned earlier that it is Pride Month. Uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, this thing that they've created to celebrate um, LGBTQ. And there's a magazine called Glamour in the United Kingdom, British Glamour as it's known. And they're introducing Logan Brown, their pride cover star. It is a woman with short hair, what I'm seeing, uh, that identifies as a man. So this is what I believe what they call a trans man that is pregnant with a very large belly. And listen to a quote. I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. I was like, my whole world just stopped. That everything, all my manlyhood that I've worked hard for so long just completely felt like it was erased. Brown was on a break from her, uh, his, her testosterone treatment, but had this weird feeling about the possibility of being pregnant. And she was thinking to herself, I, I was really hard on myself because how do you tell your partner, uh, oh, I'm pregnant, but oh, I'm also your boyfriend as well. The reaction had mixed emotions for both of us, she said. I want, uh, she said, she went on to feel shame and was feeling hard on herself and saying, You can enjoy this process and make it really difficult for yourself or not. And saying, I'm a pregnant man and we're very lucky and I'm proud to do what we're doing. Thank you for listening to the show tonight. Frank and Evergreen, I'm sorry I had to get that last story in there, and I know you wanted to talk about forest fires, so we'll get to those tomorrow, I promise. I am Rich Valdez. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless, and keep it locked right here on this station. There's more programming. I'll be back tomorrow.